Hello there. Welcome. I'm James. I'm the pastor of the Glenwood Moravian Community Church here in Madison, Wisconsin. And this is The Essentials, a space for us to explore our faith, to discuss what's going on in the world, and hopefully find some hope and some good news that we can cling to. For this episode, I have our scripture lessons and our message from Sunday, February 25th. It's the second Sunday in Lent. Our first reading came from the book of Genesis, chapter 17. It's verses 1 through 7, and then verses 15 and 16. When Abram was nearly 90 years old, God showed up and said to him, I am the strong God. Live entirely before me. Live to the hilt. I'll make a covenant between us. I'll give you a huge family. Overwhelmed, Abram fell flat on his face. God said to him, This is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham, meaning that I'm making you the father of many nations. I'll make you a father of fathers. I'll make nations from you. Kings will issue from you. I'm establishing my covenant between me and you, a covenant that includes your descendants, a covenant that goes on and on and on, a covenant that commits me to be your God and the God of your descendants. God continued speaking to Abraham and Sarai, your wife. Don't call her Sarai any longer. Call her Sarah. I'll bless her. Yes, I'll give you a son by her. Oh, how I'll bless her. Nations will come from her. Kings of nations will come from her. Then our gospel lesson from Mark chapter 8, verses 29 through 38. He then asked, and you, what are you saying about me? Who am I? Peter gave the answer, you are the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus warned them to keep it quiet, not to breathe a word of it to anyone. Then he began explaining things to them. It's necessary that the Son of Man proceed an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty by the elders, high priests, and religion scholars, be killed, and after three days, rise up alive. He said this simply and clearly so they wouldn't miss it. But Peter grabbed him in protest. Turning and seeing his disciples wavering, wondering what to believe, Jesus confronted Peter. Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade for your soul? If any of you are embarrassed over me and the way I'm leading, when you get around your fickle and unfocused friends, know that you'll be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man when he arrives in all the splendor of God, his Father, with an army of the holy angels. Here ends the reading of our word.
Now for this message, we're going to do something a little bit unusual and spend more time discussing the verses that we didn't hear in our lesson. You may have noticed when I was introducing the scripture that the passage from Genesis, Genesis 17, went from 1 through 7 and then jumped to 15 and 16, skipping a few verses in the middle. In the lectionary, the cycle of readings that we follow, it does that sometimes. It skips a few verses. And there are times when they do so in an interest of time, knowing that these verses are read in worship and probably not wanting to test the attention span of the people who are gathered that morning. But sometimes they skip a few verses to spare poor pastors from having to discuss uncomfortable topics or to deal with troubling verses in the Bible. And the latter is the case for our lesson from Genesis today. And despite their best efforts to save me from that discomfort, I think we should take some time and dive in to those verses we didn't hear. Explore a little bit of the Bible that can make us uneasy and maybe see what we can do about it. So the passage from Genesis is about God establishing this covenant with Abraham and Sarah, promising to them that even in their old age, they will conceive a son and generations, nations will be blessed because of them. It's a wonderful promise. And exploring more details surrounding this promise isn't meant to diminish this good news this covenant of relationship between God and God's people. But there are a few details that are left out that can cause us to ponder a bit. Details surrounding Abraham and Sarah and the son that they will have. So verse 8, the very first verse that we don't see, is an explanation further of how this covenant will come to light and God's explaining that the land of Cana will be given to Abraham and Sarah, that they will get to live and prosper in this area. The only problem is that there are already people inhabiting that land. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jesubites, and others, they already live there. And in order for Abraham and Sarah to get that land, they will have to move the others off. That will bring violence. It will bring war. Famously, the Battle of Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down, is part of Abraham and Sarah getting this land that God has promised to them. And we can have a few issues with that, a few questions. The idea of God taking land that belongs to other people and moving them so the chosen ones can live there. Also, the idea of God justifying and supporting the violence that it took to acquire that land. And I'll let your minds wander with how that pattern has replayed throughout history. How people have claimed to be divinely ordained to acquire land that doesn't belong to them the trouble that has brought. So that's just a little piece of discomfort, how they are about to get this land and God's role in it can bring a few questions. 
But then the next several verses, before we pick up where our lesson finished, God is describing a little more about the covenant, and it's through the topic of circumcision. That circumcision will be the sign of this relationship of this covenant. God says that male babies who are eight days old are to be circumcised. Those who are older and are already in the community should be circumcised as well. Even slaves that are purchased and brought into the community should be circumcised. God says this is the mark of knowing who is in and who is out. And God goes as far to say as those who aren't circumcised should be excluded and kicked out of the community. We have a few questions there as well as this covenant continues to get established. First, this idea of a very clear sign of who is in and who is out. That you belong to the covenant or you don't and you don't belong anymore through this sign of circumcision. But also, a few questions about how the women are supposed to be involved in all of this. Circumcision is a sign that the males can go through to say they belong, and it doesn't seem like the women have any way of being included at all, like they're an afterthought in a way. This is something for the men and God to establish relationship with. And that, too, is a pattern in Scripture where we lose the influence of women, we lose their voice at times, and in many instances, God is speaking to the men or a specific male in the community, and then that message is meant to be relayed to everyone else. We see it as our verses finished in Genesis 17. In verse 15, God tells Abraham what Sarah's name should be says, this is what you should be calling your wife, because she will be blessed. She'll be a woman of importance now that she's able to have a child. And that's a place of discomfort, for sure. Wondering where the voice of Sarah is in all of this, how she feels, how she's responding to God's plan, what it would have looked like if God spoke to her directly. But as we lose her voice and we lose a sense of how she's fully included in this plan, we also lose the voice of Hagar and Ishmael. Right before Genesis 17, in Genesis 16, we would see that Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, are frustrated by their inability to conceive. So Sarai gives Abram her blessing to sleep with her servant girl, Hagar, with the hope that through Hagar, they will be able to have a son and establish a family. And already there's trouble with that idea. And as you can imagine, once this takes place, Sarai gets jealous. She doesn't like what has been going on. She isn't happy with this decision. And she starts treating Hagar poorly. She starts being quite cruel and abusive to her servant. It's so bad that Hagar tries to run away, but an angel of the Lord intervenes and tells Hagar to go back and essentially put up with the abuse she's experiencing. And we really don't hear much of how this new covenant with Abraham and Sarah impacts Hagar and what she has just gone through 
to try and produce a family for Abraham. As the story develops, we see that Hagar and Ishmael are blessed, they're taken care of by God, but largely they're pushed off to the side. They're told to leave, they have to find a new home and live new lives. They aren't really included in this covenant that God has made. And again, I mentioned all of these details surrounding this story. I mentioned all of this part of this covenant, not to diminish the work that God is doing, not to water down the idea of God establishing relationship and promising future life and prosperity for Abraham and Sarah, to simply bring in those details to say that Scripture can be messy. When we read through verse by verse, when we do the opposite of what the lectionary does for this week, when we don't skip over those troublesome areas, it can get a little uncomfortable. Wondering how this is all exactly part of God's plan, how God can justify some of the things that are going on. And it's those details that I mentioned, they're the ones that people who are Skeptical or critical of scripture, they love to hang on to those details and then ask Christians to defend God for whatever example they see. How could God allow Abram to sleep with Hagar and have a son outside of his marriage? Why would God promise land to Abraham and Sarah that belongs to other people and allow the violence that would ensue? How is God having this be part of the divine plan. And sometimes it's not even people who are skeptical or critical of scripture who are kind of on the outside looking in. It's us, people of faith. As we read the biblical narrative, we run into questions that don't have answers. We run into situations that make us feel uneasy. And oftentimes we just don't know what to do. We have a few ways of responding that can bring us a degree of comfort. There is the idea that we should trust in God's plan, that who are we with the wisdom we have, with the lack of knowledge we have, that we believe in the work that God is doing, that God will make everything turn out well. And so we almost justify the means because the end is something hopeful. That's one approach, saying that we trust in God and these issues are uncomfortable, but maybe it's a lack of understanding on our part for how things needed to unfold. For today, we might be tempted to kind of chalk it up as an Old Testament story. And we lean on this idea that there is such a difference in culture and understanding and society norms that it can be hard to fully relate to some of these stories we read. And there's also the potential for some of these biblical stories to have been exaggerated over time before they became part of the canon. So we say it's in the Old Testament and we try and move on because we cling to God in humanity through Jesus Christ. That he is the best example we have 
for God being at work in our lives. And through Jesus, we see sacrifice, grace, forgiveness, and love. And that's the work of God that we cling to, not some of those more troubling parts of the Old Testament. But no matter what route we take, I think if we're honest with ourselves, it still feels a bit incomplete. We don't have a perfect answer for some of those details we mentioned today. We can't explain or understand everything in a way that we'd like to. As we wrestle with our approach, as we wrestle with understanding how God can be at work in some of those specific ways, I think we'll find ourselves sounding a lot like Peter from our gospel lesson. Peter here asserts that Christ is the Messiah. He knows his identity. He has come to a understanding about who Jesus is. And immediately Jesus tells him, here's what the Messiah will have to go through. An ordeal of suffering, being arrested and found guilty, ultimately killed on the cross. That's what the Messiah is facing. And to Peter, this simply can't be how God is working. This can't be the plan that God has. And he's desperate to find another way. Surely this won't happen to you, Jesus. You are talking crazy. Jesus famously rebukes Peter with that phrase, get behind me, Satan, saying, you don't know God's ways. You're thinking of human ways. And in this response that Jesus has, we get this image that he is certain of what God is up to, that he has no hesitation about the path that lays before him. But as he walks closer to the cross, if we're willing to see his humanity and see it fully, there are moments when it seems he's not so sure of what God is doing. Or he's not as confident in God's role in this divine plan. As he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, he will ask, If this cup could pass from me, let it be so. If there's any other way that God's work can be done, can't we do that? Do I have to go through this level of suffering and pain? And then again, on the cross itself, Jesus will ask, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? I think those are questions we ask constantly as we live a life of faith. Does this have to be the path that I'm on? Do things have to work out this way to be part of God's plan? And then at times to wonder if God has forgotten about us. The relationship doesn't feel as close. It feels like we've been ignored at times. And if we can see Jesus as being truly human, we can see him join us with those questions. Those feelings that are incomplete, those times spent wondering if this is what God really needs to do as God interacts with humanity. 
But as Jesus asked those questions, questions maybe similar to the ones we had as we read Genesis, in that time of uncertainty, it's important for us to hear Jesus tell his disciples, take up the cross and follow me. The message translation that we read doesn't use those words exactly, but that's the famous phrase that Jesus has for his disciples as they learn what he's about to experience. Take up your cross and follow me. Because that's what Jesus will continue to do, even in those moments where he might be questioning, he might have doubts. He walks to the cross for us. He's the one who is closest to God's design. He's brought to that place of wondering that we so often find ourselves in humanity. He may be wished for a different path. He may be wished for a different explanation. But that never stopped him. He picked up his cross and walked. He gave his life for others. That was how he responded to the uncertainty he might have seen in God's plan to live a life of service, to live a life of sacrificial love. That was how he responded to the plans God had for him. And for us, we certainly aren't always going to find perfect answers. Whether we are working through scripture, whether we are dealing with anything life can throw at us, we can be left wishing for a different path. But as we wonder, as we question, we might find some answers and some certainty. We might not. But what we will most certainly need is a response. We need to know what we need to do as we wonder and question. And as we work through those details of this life, we need to be willing to pick up our cross and walk. To continue to give our time and our energy to share hope and love. Because it's true that we won't understand every last detail of our Bible. In life, we won't be able to explain exactly what God is up to in our world today. But what we do know, what is certain in our lives, is what the life of Jesus looked like. We know what sacrificial love means. We know what it means to put yourself second to care for others above yourself, we know how he responded to those questions and those wonderings, to live in service for those he walked with. And that needs to be our response too. As we run into dead ends, as we get frustrated with the lack of knowledge and wisdom we might feel we have, we need to respond by picking up our cross of service and walking. So may that be our example, and may it be louder than the uncertainties that we have. So even those places of great trouble can still connect us to the light and example of Christ. Amen.
Well, I appreciate you checking out another episode. Very glad you stopped by. You can learn more about the church that I serve, the Glenwood Moravian Community Church. You can check out our website. You can follow us on Facebook. You can join us for worship on YouTube. If you want to know more about the Moravian Church in general, you can go to moravian.org. So take care, be well. I'll catch you all next time.